originally, uh, I was going to be doing Exodus this week, and as you know, it's been an absolutely crazy, nutty week, and um, while I suppose there are some parallels between Exodus and evacuation, um, it just didn't really th- seem fitting this week, because uh, as, as Veronica said, it just I realized not everybody was in an advisory zone, and not everybody was uh, either um, told to evacuate, um, but we still felt it as a community, and it just it just kind of prompts you to stop and, and reflect and think about things. Like, like Veronica said, it just makes you think about, well, what is important? You know, at one point my wife said, you know, it's going to be really hard for me to be without my piano, right? Um, it was given to her by her dad when she was a teenager for winning a national piano competition. I'm like, sweetheart, we ain't taking a piano if the fire comes. This thing, thing weighs almost 1,000 pounds. And you just start really thinking through that stuff and what is important. And I know a lot of you do the same thing, and some of you are still out of your homes. And, um, you know, just make sure it reminds you of how quickly things can vanish. And, uh, yeah, just just makes you think. And so I thought, you know, I just wanted to go in a direction that I kind of, I kind of felt was and thought was um, going to be encouragement to us. And um, it's amidst it all, you know, what was encouraging was to see so much generosity you know, people opening up their homes. Um, we had people saying, hey, listen, I can take four, or I can take five, and, and there are people living with one another right now. Um, people were making sandwiches for firefighters and taking waters and making cookies, and it was just cool to see so much outpouring, right? Um, it's just, it's not only overwhelming to see, it's, it's, it's kind of a joy to be a part of, right? Um, we had a, a sister church, some of you know this, in a part of our conference over in Santa Rosa by the name of Cross Point Community Church. And uh, the church was damaged in the fire, but the pastor, a guy by the name of Mike Baker, um, met with him a number of times. He was in that neighborhood that just was pulverized, lost everything. And I just, and I'm picturing him this morning, he's over there leading his church in worship and, you know, saying God is good. And you know, they said, we got a, we got a, a call on Wednesday morning saying, hey, we could really use help, and if you can send anything, food, water, diapers, clothes, we would like to not only help people in our congregation, but help people outside the congregation. So, so we sent out the word through Facebook and other, other avenues, and, and within a couple of hours, it was a couple of hours, it's no exaggeration, half of our lobby was filled with stuff. And within 24 hours, we had so much stuff, we had to actually turn it away. We, we can't take any more. We... We had uh, 30 people show up at, a, at a, about, about 30 people show up at a drop of a dime and, and load a, a moving truck to the ceiling and then part of another truck. That's, that's how much stuff was just raised and it was just so cool to be a part of and to see um, what happens, you know. Interesting times, right? It just is. You just kind of take a, an inventory of uh, a series of hurricanes and earthquakes and shootings and fires and I don't know what the Lord's doing in our time. Is this just another cycle or is this part of the end cycle? I don't know. But I do know that, that there's just such an amazing outpouring of generosity in these times. And I think for that we can we can give thanks. You know, it's part of the uh, it's part of uh, God's common grace to us, right? Um, that believer, unbeliever, regardless of one's religious persuasion or what race you're a part of, that there is the image of God in people giving them com- their capacity to to be compassionate, to be hospitable. That's something we should give thanks for. It's part of God's image, albeit fallen, in humanity. But I was thinking, you know, um, 
article that I read was kind of uh, intriguing that these types of, of generosity tend to be seasonal or they, they come in spurts when there's a, a, a natural disaster and then they kind of, things kind of go back to normal. Um, author and professor by the name of um, Patrick uh, Rooney, he's a um, professor at the University of uh, Indiana, um, uh, this is a mouthful to say, but professor of economics and philanthropy. I got it out. He wrote this, and it just caught my attention. Maybe. He says, Americans typically make, typically make um, these donations within six weeks of a big disaster when media coverage is the most intense. Their contributions usually slow to a crawl six months later once the cameras stop rolling and news cycles move on. And, uh, and it's true. Kind of comes in spurts and seasons. And I just want to say I'm thankful that it comes in spurts and seasons. I think all of us are. But what I like to submit to us as a, as a church family who um, gather in the name of Jesus, we profess to be followers of Jesus as Christians, we have the spirit of God in us and live by this word, that generosity is, is not supposed to be seasonal for us. It's not supposed to come in spurts. It's, it's to be a, a way of life. That is, generosity is is to be a, a habit of life. That's, that's part of how you know you're actually a, a believer. Like the, the truths that we hold so dear are truths that should actually liberate us from having to hold on tightly, right? That we believe that we have a good shepherd who looks after us, provides for us. He's got our backs. He's, he's there for us. He feeds, provides, he protects that he's made us part of his family, he, he's sovereign over, the, over all things, he's in control, he's good in all that we, he does in our lives. So with all of those truths, there should be, if we believe that, a, a sense of release and, and generosity, if we believe. It's part of the evidence that we're believers is this thing called generosity. And I just want to encourage us at a time where we've experienced it to, and I know for a lot of you it is a, it is a regular habit of life, but as a family, as individuals, just, this, is, this ought to be something that, that, is, that is, is part of the fabric of who we are. Just generous people. To encourage us in that light, I wanted to look at that passage that, um, that Doug just read. Um, Paul's instruction to Timothy, who's a pastor in the church of Ephesus. And he's giving Timothy these instructions for the people who are wealthy in his congregation. How they are to relate to it. How they're not to relate to it. And uh, how they're supposed to use it. Let me just say from the outset that we may be tempted to think that this doesn't apply to us. You know, the first part, as for the rich in this present age, it'd be easy to think, well, I just drive a mangy old Ford or Chevy. This is written for people who drive BMWs and Mercedes. And that would be a major mistake. If you drive a mangy Ford, you're still wealthy compared to most people in the world. I mean, even, and I don't mean to sound insensitive, but even our homeless population compared to other homeless poor populations like in India and so forth are rich when you're walking around with a cell phone. That is, we live in an affluent society which makes, really, I think everyone in here comparatively wealthy. So this, this applies to us. You have a roof over your head. You have any money in the bank you have a car, then consider yourself relatively wealthy. So this applies to us. 
In these three little verses, he tells us how, if you will, too dangerous as it relates to wealth. He gives us how we're supposed to use it, that is, opportunities for the use of it. And then he concludes with a motivation, as in what should motivate us to, to be generous in this life. The first part has to do with dangers, and he, he picks out two, and it's just shrewd. You can tell he knows, and of course the Spirit inspired this, but he knows the human heart. That they're, they're, we are susceptible to at least two dangers when it comes to wealth and when it comes to money. One has to do with our own sense of pride or arrogance, and the second one, which is really kind of a fraternal twin, is insecurity. As we want to find something to trust in, to hope in. And wealth offers, in a... Um, in a false sort of way, a promise to both of those things to m- make us feel significant and powerful and like we have position at the same time gives us a sense of security. The first one, the first danger he picks out there is just has to do with arrogance, right? You don't have to have a degree in psychology to figure out the connection between wealth and arrogance, right? I mean, we may never articulate things this way, but, but sometimes um, what we really believe is so deeply embedded, we don't, we're not even necessarily aware, aware, aware of it. We have to pay attention to things we say or thoughts that we think. Of thinking, for example, that, well, I'm wealthy because I'm, I'm a self-made man. I did this. That's just a, a way of kind of exalting and exalting the self. Or have you, It's not implausible that people would think something like this. Well... If only so-and-so is a bit more fiscally responsible and showed a little bit more self-control in the use of their income, then they could be more successful. Or, if only the younger generation had a stronger, more consistent work ethic, like, uh, like me, well then, they, he, she, would be more successful. Now, as true as those evaluations may be, they also may be an expression of an arrogant, haughty spirit that you actually see yourself as better than others because of your level of material success. And I think that's what Paul's talking about. You know, it's just, it's, 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 it's so easy. It's just really easy to pat yourself on the back because of what you've accumulate, accumulated, however much or little it is. And to, to the Christian mind, we have to change that, right? We have to, we have to think, wait, 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 wait a second. And this is, this, um, my, my mind takes me to uh, what Paul says, says elsewhere where he says, what, have you, what do you have that you have, did not receive? Um, and if you received it, why, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? In other words, what he's getting at is that for us, we have to recognize and think consciously that everything that I have, Everything is a gift. There's not a single thing, not a personality trait, not a gift, not a nurturing environment of of being raised in a particular home or an education. Everything is a gift. Everything. Everything is a a gratuitous gift on the part of God. So I I really can't claim any credit for all of it, any of it. See, that's, that's supposed to be a pride killer. It's just a realization that there's nothing that I have, nothing that I have not received. Nothing. You know, um, psychological studies have shown that people who allow wealth to go to their head become less hospitable, less compassionate, less relational. That is, they become less human. That they actually have done studies to show that people who have a lot, who let it go to their heads, uh, 
stop more infrequently at crosswalks to let people cross. Interesting. Just, this is just, just uh, uh, data, facts, studies, which really has no part in the Christian heart. So that's, that's, that's danger number one, just recognizing that whatever level of wealth you have, it's like it's been a gift to you. Um, you can't congratulate yourself for it. And once you start to go down that road, you'll find yourself um, being less human, less Christian. The second danger, like I said, kind of a fraternal twin is, is simply insecurity. All of us have a desire to be secure, and um, we know we live in an uncertain world. We just experienced that this last week. It can go in a flash, literally. And just to want to feel like, okay, I can somehow continue on. And, and, and one, of the, one of the things we look to the most to, to just give us a sense of security and a sense of well-being and a sense of rootedness is, is what we have. That is our stuff or our money and our accounts. It's, just, it's, it's that way. That's, that's what we look to. And if we don't have a lot of it, we may pay, make payments to insurance companies so that if we do lose it, they can pay it back, right? It's just like we, this desire to be secure. And like it or not, we do gain a sense of security from our money and from our, our wealth and possessions. And Paul's saying that's danger. Don't, don't put your trust in it. Hope. It is, you can't look to it as, as a savior of who you are. And th- th- that's, that's, that's important for us to get our, our hearts and our, our heads around. I, I was thinking this, this past week, what the image that came to my mind was, if I handed a crisp $100 bill to my, one of my kids, like, here you go, $100 bill. And whichever kid took that $100 bill and thought, oh, this is so awesome. I am just going to take this. I'm going to put it in the piggy bank because I know now that I have this crisp $100 bill, that if the internet goes out and nobody can use their debit or credit cards, I still have this crisp $100 bill I can eat. Or if I get really, really depressed, I can take out this crisp $100 bill and I can go and spend it and make myself feel better. Yeah, that happens. Or if, you know, you just, can you imagine my child thinking that about a, a $100 bill uh, that I gave him or her? But th- that's the tendency. Rather than as the father being able to say, listen, that $100 bill does not love you. It can't care for you. It will not be there for you. Not only is it uncertain, can it be gone tomorrow, but who's the one who gave it to you? Me. And that's the thing is that when, when, when you take the gift and you, you place your trust in the gift that God's given rather than the giver, the one who says, I am your shepherd, through high and low, in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, I'm the one who feeds you. I'm the one who gives you everything. I give you a fresh sunrise every day, free of charge. You breathe my air every day, free of charge. You have friendships, free of charge. I gave my life for you to make you part of my family, free of charge. Who are you going to trust? The crisp $100 bill? Are you going to trust me? It's an issue of trust. That or me. One glorifies the Lord. The other doesn't. So here you have these these two dangers. This is how we're not supposed to relate to what God has given to us. Not to be arrogant. We're not to find our security in it. But he goes on and gives us the positive side. Um, that when we really trust that the Lord is the one who has freely and richly given us all things, and we trust the giver rather than the gift, 
Well, then we can go on and do what he talks about here in terms of generosity. He says, they are, that is, again, this is all of us, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Four things. This kind of stacks on top of each other and the way it's written in the original. It's, it's supposed to be a continual durative sense of you're gonna, supposed to continue to do good, continue to be rich in good works, continue to be generous, continue to be ready to share. It's like, it's to continue. It's supposed to be f- part of the fabric, part of the habit of the Christian life is just to, just to be generous. And there's a communal sense to this. That is, we are to love God and love our neighbor with, with our stuff. It's, it's supposed to go outward. That's, that's, the, um, that's how we're supposed to live. That's how we're supposed to use it. Notice Paul doesn't say, I want you to give it all away and become a monk. doesn't say that. He's give you a monk gown and you know, a little fringe haircut. He doesn't say that. I certainly believe that all of us as Christians are to surrender everything to the Lord, but in terms of actual giving it away, as he gives us the stewardship and the wisdom to know how and when we should do that, he's, he's basically saying just be benevolent with it. Help people with it. Bless people with it. What does it look like? To me, and this is a thousand different things. It's like it means if you have a truck and somebody has a need, it means that you use it. It means if you have a pool, that when it's a hot summer day, invite people over, not just your friends, others. If you have a house or an apartment, you have a kitchen table, you have food, don't just use it for you. Use it for others. If you have money in the bank and you see an opportunity or a need that you can fill, then do it. And always be ready. So he says ready. That means prepared. It's like, okay, in a moment's notice, if I need to, I will be there. that's, That's something we're supposed to nurture. In each other, encourage and be ourselves as individuals and as a church with our church building, with, with who we are. Because that's the way the Lord is, right? If there's one thing we note from the, from the life of Christ is that he was always generous. Always generous from the very end. Even hanging on a cross, he took the time to give the gift of a promise to a man who was dying. Generous from beginning to end. Why? Because that's who God is. God is generous. He is generous to the Christian. He is generous to the atheist. He is generous to the agnostic all at the same time, even though they don't know it. I was at a, uh, I was at Rayleigh's, and I had one of those red baskets full of full of groceries. You know, this, this is one of those. This is a while ago now, because I don't think they had the, the like the self check line yet. And um, I had, I was full of groceries, and I was getting ready to go home and make dinner, and, and, uh, and I realized, there's a panic moment, I realized I didn't have my wallet, right? You ever done that? It's like, you can picture this, you can, at the front of the line, people are behind you, and the checker's looking at you, and just, you know, scanned all your stuff, and you're like, oh my goodness, <laughs> what do you do, right? You say, hey, could you hold on 15 minutes while I drive home, get my wallet, and come back? Do you beg, borrow, and steal from somebody? Uh, it's just a total panic moment. And, um, and there's this guy that showed up just at the right time. His name was Scott. And is a, a believer, but a believer that I don't even really know that well. And he could tell. It's like, this guy is like in trouble, right? It's not like I, did, I didn't have the money. I just didn't have the money with me. And uh, he, he pulled over his wallet. He pulled out 320s. I said, here. I said, well, listen, 
if you wait here, after I buy my groceries, I'll go home, get you 320s, and come back, right? I'll pay you back. He goes, no. This is a true story. He said, no. You take it. It's yours. I don't remember what he said, like Merry Christmas or something. It wasn't Christmas time. He just gave me 320s, and he just blessed me. He said with his life, this stuff doesn't matter that much to me. What matters in this moment is you. What matters in this moment isn't what's in my wallet. What matters in this moment is you. That was probably 10 plus years ago, and I've never forgotten it. The man blessed me. And as a result of that, makes me want to be more generous. And that's just how it works. Blessed my life. Do we have that um, sense? I know a lot of you do, but just continue to nurture and grow the sense of generosity, not just sometimes or when there's a news story, but all the time. Just that's, that's how we're supposed to live constantly. And it's exciting to be that way, to bless somebody in a way that they're going to remember. It's going to make a difference in their life. That's pretty awesome. I just want to encourage you with that. That's, that's how we would have us live constantly, looking for opportunities to bless other people. Which brings us to the final motivation. You know, he said, listen, this is how, watch out for these dangers. Don't get infected. Don't let it make you proud. Don't, don't look to it to save you. But rather, if you really trust I love you, you trust that I got your back, I am your shepherd, I'm the one who gives you air to breathe, then you can let loose of this stuff and you can bless other people as I've blessed you. And here's a, a final reward. This is part of the motivation. Is verse 19 has to do with eternity. And there's, there's a kind of irony in this, which I'll point your eyes to in a second. It says, thus, this is the conclusion of somebody who doesn't fall into the dangers of verse 17, but practices the generosity, the, the communal generosity of verse 18. This is the, this is the, the result, the, the net effect, he says, thus storing up treasure for yourself, for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I suspect that Paul was quoting Jesus here when Jesus said, you know, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I, I suspect he possibly is quoting the Lord here. It's like storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation. In other words, if verse 18 is the practice of your life, generosity, for the sake of the Lord and for the sake of others, then you're actually, at the same time, while you're giving away the treasure, you're actually storing up treasure for yourself. That's part of the irony. In the letting go, there is a laying hold of treasure. And he, he, he describes it here as a good foundation. Like the one part of the building that lasts through a fire, foundation, right? Um, you can still go to Jerusalem and see the stones that Herod laid for the foundation of the temple. And some of them are darn near perfect. They're still there. And that's part of the images. We are laying something permanent down in the future. Something that, that 
can't be destroyed by fire, something that can't be stolen, something that doesn't rust, it doesn't fall apart. And that's as we live life by faith in God who has generously given us all things and we refuse to give into those inner temptations to be proud or find security in it and we're using it for the sake of, of God and his people, well then a foundation is being formed. And he goes on to say that we will lay hold of that which is truly life. That's what truly means to live. So in using the temporal stuff that you can't keep, God forms and promises up eternal and permanent stuff that you can keep. Therein lies the future motivation is what are you building? You know, build on sand now or are you building a foundation for later? And that's, that's part of what enables us, I think, by way of motivation to say, I, I, I want to be generous because I, I, I'm not trying to build here. I'm trying to build there. Two names, and I'll close with this. Lou and Jerry Muller. They are an elderly couple. Lou is not doing all that well. He's probably going to pass on to glory not too long from now. I've known them my entire life. He was a worker in a paper mill, and she, the wife, was a foster parent. Had kids in her home constantly, constantly pouring into kids, some of whom didn't want to be poured into and some of whom stole from her. Two people who didn't make a lot of money but spent their life in service to other people. One of the things that they did, and I will never forget it, is they would, from their monthly checks, they would take out money and every month they would write checks for tuition for people who were going into the ministry. I wouldn't expect that because they didn't have a lot, but they did. And I guarantee that that, what may have seemed so small, laid for them a foundation that's permanent. And that, my friends, is how the Lord would have us live. All of us, me, you, us as a family, as a church. To recognize that generosity, not just in times of national crisis or community crisis, but generosity all the time is what we're called to do, how we're called to live. And in doing so, laying a foundation that is uh, forever and ever and ever. So my, my encouragement to all of us is to continue to do what has been happening this last week, is to continue to make it part of your life. And if, if you're thinking, I'm not that good at generosity, well, at least take one step forward, you know, one step forward. And next thing you know, you'll take another step forward. And if you think for a second that, well, I just have a little tiny apartment and I, I'm kind of embarrassed to use it, and it's, how, could, how could I actually use something so small? Let me just say that you're absolutely 100% wrong. I've seen some of the most... Um, Light-filled, accepting, loving environments happen in some of the smallest places. Listen, if Jesus can take five loaves and two fish and feed thousands, then he can take what little amount you have, and he can minister to people through it. Amen. Lord, your spirit has got to move in hearts to make this happen, in my heart and our hearts. And I just ask that um, you would sustain um, a generous Heart, that you would grow a generous heart, especially in times where it seems like um, 
lawlessness is increasing and where Jesus himself said is lawlessness increases, love tends to grow cold and we don't want it to grow cold. We want to see generosity um, increase rather than grow cold as we um, live in this world um, full of uncertainties and chaos. I pray this in the name of Jesus for the health of his church. Amen.